0: All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the fear This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety spectrum disorders, the treatment of those things and trying to get your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss. I'm a uh, licensed therapist here in California, and um, I uh, specialize in the treatment of anxiety spectrum disorders. That includes anxieties and phobias and, uh, and OCD spectrum stuff, specific phobia, social anxiety, all those things. Um, I also work with BFRBs, uh, that's body-focused repetitive behaviors like hair pulling and skin picking, pretty much anything that is related to anxiety or following the anxiety cycle, just stuff that we do to try to make ourselves feel better, to deal with the anxieties and struggles of life, or the sometimes ridiculous things that our brain gives us. So that is the stuff I like to talk about, and that is the stuff that we are going to go over on this episode, episode number twenty six. Oh, it's such a surprise that I keep, uh, I keep going, and every time I make another one, the number gets higher, and it's just such a surprise, and it's so wonderful. Um, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for finding this podcast and um, and, and and joining me today in uh, in in discussing this topic and uh, trying to uh, learn a little bit more about anxiety. So as I've done on previous episodes. Um, I uh, I have answered some questions and kind of, um, I'm certainly answered some questions. That's kind of the point of this whole podcast. For those of you who are new, this is a um, more or less a, a question and answer based podcast. If you have a question about OCD or anxiety or treatment or anything like that, um, shoot me an email. You can go over to www.fearcastpodcast.com and you can send me a message there uh, with your question or comment or review or feedback. Um, and if it's a question for the podcast, Podcast. I will read it. And likely speaking, I will answer it on a future episode. And this episode is no different. This is going to be one of those episodes that is based around someone's someone's question. They're, the entire episode is going to be based on this person's question. So I'm going to read that here at the top. This question comes from Henry. Henry asks, I'm 33 and I've been suffering from many types of OCD for over a decade. The most detrimental and prominent is ROCD and my intense lack of confidence. Can you talk about relationship OCD and give some tips on how to stay confident while in the midst of obsessions? So as you can tell from the question, the the whole episode is going to be based just on the discussion of ROCD, and then at the very end of this, I also want to uh, answer your question, Henry, directly and talk about you know th- th- issues about confidence and how to stay confident despite all the things that our brain gives us to distract us and to frustrate us uh, and. Uh, for you to beat you down and make you question yourself. So, we'll, we'll chat just a little bit about that. So, let's jump into the topic. For those of you who don't know what ROCD is, ROCD is yet again another manifestation of OCD. ROCD is one of the um, colloquial subtopics or colloquial names that we give to uh, uh, as, as part of obsessive-compulsive disorder. Um, the diagnosis itself is just obsessive-compulsive disorder. There are not any specific diagnoses of ROCD or harm OCD or, or HOCD or anything like that. These are just kind of shorthand titles that we give so that we all kind of know what we're talking about because a lot of the obsessions that, that, that we will talk about or, or some have uh, kind of follow these, these paths patterns and 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 focus really on some specific subject matters. So, as you can guess from the topic, relationship OCD. Simply stated, relationship OCD is OCD about relationships. So, a lot of people will say that ROCD only focuses on one's own feelings and doubts within the relationship, Uh, and and I think that's a really good baseline to understand what ROCD is. However, I think in some cases, it can be expanded out to one's obsessing about one's partner, including checking behaviors for signs of their feelings and reassurance-seeking, stuff like that. Because people with ocd and people without ocd do have doubts about the relationship question whether the relationship is going to fully last or whether they are they fully love their partner yes of course this is insecurity and People can experience relationship insecurity with and without OCD, but the defining characteristic for me that makes this type of obsessing within the ROCD camp um, is whether or not this person is doing compulsive behaviors to satisfy doubt and uncertainty with behaviors consistent with the OCD cycle. Now, before I get into uh, defining more specifically what some of the obsessions or common obsessions and common compulsions within relationship OCD are, I'll say that this is one of the the, the subtopics of OCD that it, that it can be so frustrating for pretty much everybody involved, not only the person experiencing the obsessions, but also the person it, who is also in that relationship, or even the people around them, obviously causes this just severe anguish within the individual, and also can cause a huge amount of distress within that relationship as it kind of creates this feedback loop of, uh, of doubt and insecurity and questioning, which sometimes that's based in some genuine relationship issues, sometimes it's based in OCD, but then it's responded to in this OCD fashion. And then, kind of, it can sometimes exacerbate genuine relationship issues, just again, furthering our OCD, furthering the relationship doubts, and just kind of creating this giant, just chaos and turmoil. So, so for those within ROCD or experiencing ROCD, both the individual or the loved one, it could all just be incredibly painful. Now, before I get into some of the specific obsessions and compulsions with ROCD, let's again talk about what OCD is. And this is going to uh, generalize to anxiety in general as well. But we can think about this giant cycle, this big circle, where it starts with this obsessive thought. This obsessive thought is initially triggered by random thoughts that we have or random feelings that we have, stuff we see, stuff we experience within relationships, things like that. And it triggers this obsessive fear, this this story that your brain tells you about what's going to happen. It's that what if blank or if then sort of scenario. Now, the story that your brain tells you is a neutral story. It's not a fun story. It may not be your favorite story, but it's something that your brain is telling you about the situation that you're in or yourself or whatever the case may be. Now, the outcome of that story, you don't like. It seems terrifying. It seems, certainly, to put it mildly, unwanted. Let's just say unwanted. So, the outcome of that story then leads to this anxiety. Now, you and I would rather feel good than bad, so we're obviously going to try to do something to get rid of that anxiety. We're either going to try to get rid of the anxiety, or we're going to try to make sure that that story doesn't happen in the way that our brain is giving it to us. Now, this is where the compulsions come in. Compulsions are going to be anything that we do to try to make ourselves feel better or to make sure that that thought goes away, or the fear doesn't happen. Some of these things can be reassurance seeking. They can be Checking behaviors—they can be specific rituals that you do. They can be avoidances. Now, our OCD is going to be one of those fun ones that has bo- has both overt compulsions, meaning things that we do outside of ourselves. Think washing and checking—that stuff. It's very, very visual. But it also has covert compulsions, which are going to be things that we do internally. Now, this is where the 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 name pure O comes from. It's where it's this—it's the misnomer that uh, that obsessions and or that that someone's OCD is only only thought-based. So, in other words, that they only have obsessions. However, it's not true because the compulsions are masking as obsessions. The compulsions kind of look like like the obsessive thought itself. It's ruminations, it's mental checking, it's mental reviewing, it's stuff like that. Anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, once this person does this compulsion, they get this this false sense of security. It's this very temporary belief that they've solved the problem, or at the least that they feel better in the moment, and that's kind of just what they're searching for. Now, that obviously gives relief, but it also reinforces the initial thought because now you've gone through this whole big rigmarole to try to get rid of this thought that didn't mean anything in the first place or didn't deserve the attention in the first place. So now we're going to get this thought a lot more because we've reinforced that this initial thought is scary and does deserve our attention and response. And also we like feeling safe, and doing compulsions makes us feel safe. If they didn't work, at least temporarily, you wouldn't do them. So, because they work, we're going to do them more and more and more. All right. So, some of the common compulsions are going to be having to do with overattention to specific physical attributes. They might deal with personality traits or character traits of the other person, one's feelings within the relationship or about the other person, and also an over evaluation. Of, of almost anything, and oftentimes with catastrophic assumptions. Now, and as we've talked about with these feared thoughts, some of them sound like, do I love this person enough? Another one can be, are they truly the one? Are they the one for me? Do I feel the appropriate amount of love for this person? I don't feel the same as I did early on in the relationship. Do I still love them? Another can be, what if I'm lying to them about my feelings? Or what if I'm lying to myself about my feelings? Another rumination can be, can I find someone better? And if you can find someone better, should you? Another common one can be, my partner doesn't have X quality or interest or passion or physical attribute. Would I be happier with somebody else? And as I mentioned, an obsession about what the other person feels, it can sound like, does this other person love me? Do they love me enough? Do they love me correctly or fully? Uh, or alternatively, am I, am I wasting my time with someone who doesn't fully or truly love me? And that can be a huge rumination. Now, again, none of these stories sound very fun because they I mean, they, they sound awful. If they were genuinely true, they, they, they might be awful. So, The person with ROCD is going to try to do something to get rid of that feeling, or to try to make themselves feel better, or try to make sure that the story isn't true or isn't going to happen the way their brain's giving them. So, what are some of the common compulsions? Evaluating feelings about the other person when the other person's away. Ruminating about past relationships that can be comparison to that previous relationship in any sort of fashion. It can also comparing to other relationships, meaning like, are, are, are we as happy as they are? Comparing physical characteristic or physical traits with other men or other women is extremely common. You know, kind of checking those people out to see if they if this person has a better this, or that person has a more attractive that, or do they like their, their partner's this or that in comparison to this, whole, this other person's. Compulsive self reassurance that you love them and that their body part or quality, you know, isn't really that bad is common. So this list is going on, so I'll just kind of zip through a couple of these real quick. Repeated breaking up and starting new relationships, checking with family or friends that they think the relationship going, they think the relationship is going well and that you two are going to last or that the partner is truly attractive. It can be resisting saying, I love you, or expressing intimacy in any sort of way, or saying, I love you, and then all of a sudden while well, checking for loving feelings or attracted feelings. It can be self-judgment for questioning the relationship and not having those, those lovey-dovey feelings all the time, or you know, not having them correctly or enough. Um, lastly, it can be checking for continued attraction or arousal, and this can include Compulsively having sex with the other person to make sure that they're that you are appropriately feeling aroused and turned on by this other person. People can have a number of different subtypes, and sometimes those subtypes will influence one another or will lead into one another. Um, and ROCD is is no different. RCD can can co-occur with a number of different subtypes. So. Just very briefly, it can co-occur with HOCD, so uh, uh, homosexual OCD, sexual orientation OCD, however you want to call it. One of the obsessions can be, I'm not attracted to my partner anymore, meaning they're questioning their feelings that they're having about their partner. They don't feel overwhelming, lovey-dovey feelings. So, I don't feel fully attracted to my partner anymore. Maybe it's because I'm really gay. So, those thoughts will influence one another. It can occur with harm OCD can be, you know, I'm having these violent thoughts about my partner from harm OCD, which will then influence, well, if I'm having harm thoughts, do I really love them? Based on the assumption, you know, people who really love their partners, you know, don't think about horrifically murdering them or decapitating them. So, obviously, um, I don't love them. An even less direct harm OCD one can be, I may harm my partner emotionally if I'm leading them on or leading them into a wrong, quote, wrong relationship. It can even go to existential OCD. It can be, will I ever be happy? That's an even broader question that ultimately can never really be answered. Um, lastly, it can also occur with moral scrupulosity. And we've talked a little bit about religious scrupulosity in the past. Uh, perhaps moral episode will be in the future. But uh, it can occur with moral scrupulosity. It can be, am I just a bad person for not being fully committed? Or am I a bad person for even having doubts about the relationship? So, that's a whole other cycle that can, that can happen. All right. So now we've talked about the obsessions, we've talked about some compulsions, we've talked about how they can co-occur. Let's talk about treatment. That's what everybody is interested in. So as always, OCD treatment and anxiety treatment in general is going to have to do with cognitive behavioral therapy, exposure and response prevention, and mindfulness. So we're going to go over those. So treatment for ROCD is going to start with cognitive behavioral therapy. So treatment, generally speaking, is, is going to start with the cognitive components to CBT. At the very beginning of treatment for ROCD, just like for any other type, there's going to be um, some psychoeducation and just kind of talking about relationships and what they mean and what they don't mean. And and what some of this is, is going into what's called cognitive restructuring, which is really just a, uh, the effort of, of, of trying to develop a more balanced view of the thought that you're having not to give better reassurance or to think right, but just to have a more balanced, more realistic view. Now, of course, this can be a very dangerous game with ROCD as with the others because it can quickly develop into compulsive reassurance. As I previously mentioned, the restructuring also looks at the realities of relationships while acknowledging the absurdity of the distorted thoughts. So, some examples of this is acknowledging the fact that, you know, you and I have no idea of ever knowing whether our partner is the one. We just kind of say they're the one. I mean, there's no, like, button that pops out on our shoulder when we're around the one. Um, Based on this, there's actually a really cool movie that is a super cool exposure for folks with ROCD and the one in general. It's called Timer. Um, I saw it on Netflix. I have no idea where it is now. Um, It's this fun—fun. It's an interesting movie about uh, this idea that, essentially, you get a a timer installed on your arm that has a countdown on it. And this countdown will tell you when you are going to meet— your soulmate. When you're going to meet the one, and sometimes you, you know, it, it goes down to zero, and you find yourself in front of this person, and you go, "Really, that's my soulmate." Sometimes it goes down to zero, and you go, "Oh my gosh, of course I love you, and you're you're great." Sometimes you never see a number; it never counts down. Then what? So. It gets into some of these kind of more existential questions. So again, I'm getting, <clears throat> getting ahead of myself with these things. So that's more of an exposure sort of thing. But more of the stories, we have never we have no way of knowing whether or not we are truly with the one. Another way to challenge ROCD is to consider that the, or is to accept the reality that there will always be someone more than your partner and more than you. Out there now. Obviously, there's someone better or or more than. But there's, you know, because of there's more. There's always going to be someone less. So there's going to be someone less attractive, less smart. But again of your partner, there's, there will be someone out there who is funnier, who is more talented, who's more driven, who's better in bed, who's has a better spiritual connection. There's, there's always going to be someone better. And that's one of the realities to accept within this, within relationships. It's not a super fun and sexy one to acknowledge, but you know, there and, and I say that about myself too. Of course, I mean, I'm assuming that there are more attractive people than me, more charismatic people than me, maybe. But of course there are people out there who are better than that at me. But for whatever reason, my wife loves me. I don't know why, but it's one of the things to acknowledge and one of the things that we talked about in cognitive restructuring. Another one that's incredibly important to recognize is no one feels fully happy or lovey dovey within relationships all of the time one of the simplest examples of this that that everybody has experienced or at least the majority of people have experienced is that is that that we can we can feel love for someone at times and then we don't feel love for somebody at times and yet for some people we still say that we love them despite the fact that we don't feel feel these feelings. Well, the best example I have of this is that is for you to think about your mom, think about your mother and I would, and think about do you actually do you love this person? Likely speaking you're going to say yes. Now, also think about have you ever been mad at your mom? Have you ever been upset? Have you ever been disappointed? of course, likely speaking, you're going to say yes. Now, at that moment that you're mad at them, you're probably not feeling, oh, these lovey-dovey, wonderful, affectionate feelings that you feel for your mom. But if in that moment, you felt disappointed or angry, if I said, you know, do you love your mom? You might say, well, yeah, but I'm just pissed off right now. I'm just annoyed right now. And it's appropriately to recognize that the feelings that we have in the moment don't necessarily describe or don't necessarily project out everything that we feel about this person. And it further illustrates the temporary emotional states that we have aren't everything. Now, before I get into exposure and response prevention, I want to talk a little bit about then mindfulness treatment. What does mindfulness look like within ROCD? Well, mindfulness treatment in general is going to be incredibly important within ROCD. For those new to the podcast, mindfulness can really just be thought about accepting and acknowledging in a non-judgmental fashion the thoughts and feelings that we have or don't have in this moment as they are, as they are in this very moment. And all the while continuing with our goals and our values. So, even without exposure, you and I can accept that the thought is there. That obsession is there. It's bouncing between your ears. It's not your favorite thought. And we certainly don't have to agree with or like all the thoughts that we have and feelings that we have or the feelings that we don't have. But we do have to acknowledge that in this very moment, that's the stuff that you're feeling. You can say, you can agree with it. You can say, yep. That's what I'm feeling, or that's what I'm not feeling. Oh, I'm feeling, you know, I'm I'm noticing this other person. They're super attractive. Yep, I am noticing that. Or, oh, I'm I'm around my partner and I feel kind of blah or bland or subdued, or I feel maybe, maybe antagonistic, or I'm pulling away from them. It may not be that which you want to feel or think about or experience, but we we first can say, just sure, right now, that's what's going on now mindfulness treatment within ROCD as well as as well as pretty much every other type of of, uh, of anxiety uh, disorder uh can be used as a treatment unto itself. There will be some folks out there who are unwilling or uninterested. I'll just, I'll actually just say unwilling uh, to do exposure and response prevention, and that can be for a number of reasons. Again, their their willingness level. Um, there can also be just some personal, um, religious or moral beliefs that they have about the exposure and response prevention process. So, mindfulness in and of itself. Can be an effective treatment. It may not be everything. It's certainly not going to get them as far as someone who's willing to do exposures. But you can get back to your life with mindfulness and cognitive behavioral therapy. So to continue on with the mindfulness is that one, we are we're going to accept the thoughts that we're having in this moment. Again, we don't have to like them. And then secondly, we're going to move on and do some committed, valued actions. We're going to do things that we find important. Think about what your ideal self would be within a relationship. What do you who would you want to be? How would you want to treat your partner? Would you want to say kind words to them? If you were your ideal self, would you be non-judgmental towards yourself and towards them? Would you be affectionate, giving? Would you be sacrificial? So then the question is, are you willing to do those things despite uncertainty, despite doubt, despite the obsessive thoughts bouncing between your ears? One of the common obsessions that that I didn't mention at the top that though that I hear um, I hear with with relationship OCD all the time is well how do I know I'm in the right relationship or should I marry this person? Now, I don't have that answer about whether you'd marry this person or whether you should marry this person. That is going to be a personal decision for you that is going to involve accepting some of the things we mentioned in the cognitive restructuring piece. It's going to be accepting that we don't we can't predict the future. And that this is the risk that we all take within relationships. But the reality is you and I accept risks and engage in risks all the stinking time. Every time we get into a car we risk the potential death. Every time we eat something, we risk the potential of choking to death or being poisoned or getting salmonella or you know something like that. So, we do take risks all the time. So, should you marry this person or are you in the right relationship? We don't know. However, we, we take everything that we know about this person, we take everything that we know about the relationship, all the good stuff, all the bad stuff, all the weird stuff, and we round up. Now I'm taking this concept from uh, uh, writer, author, social scientist Dan Savage, if you ever heard about him. He talks about this idea of rounding up and he kind of says that that you know, we we have a lot of, you know, 0. .65s and and 0. .82s and man if we are lucky we got like a 0. .91, but we don't get the 1. Now the difference between what we get, all this good stuff about them. The difference between all of that and the the distance to one, that's the stuff that you and I round up to. That's the annoying stuff. That's the stuff that that we don't like or that we doubt or that we fear is going to get in the way of the relationships, but ultimately we say, is the 0.82, the stuff that we have, worth it? And are we willing to then move forward in that relationship? So that is the acceptance piece. That's the difference that we, we'll, that you and I are all going to have to accept within the relationships that we have, if we want to have that. If we, if we indeed want to have that relationship. Now, this of course leads me into exposure and response prevention, the fun and terrifying part of anxiety treatment. So. A lot of the questions that we get is then what in the heck do we do with this little bit between what we have and rounding them up to the one? How do I get used to the fact that this little bit might spoil all the stuff underneath and might screw up our potential future? Well, exposure and response prevention is where we go with this. Now The goal of ERP is to push into and against the irrational thoughts and distorted premises while working to intentionally think about them and tolerate their existence, and to tolerate the existence of the thought and the potential of the premise. Now This isn't, I hope no one heard in that, that that means you have to accept the truthfulness of the thought now that's the difference here, is that we're not accepting the truthfulness of this, but that we're accepting the possibility of it. What we're trying to do with this, ultimately, is to pull back on the compulsion to figure out whether or not that thought is, in fact, true, but instead to acknowledge that, yep, that thought is there, to resist trying to get certainty about the truthfulness of it, and accept the possibility of the thought itself. So, if you were to do either exposure or response prevention, and do only one of those two, I would rather you do response prevention, because life is going to give you exposures no matter what. Now, we call these natural exposures. They're just stuff that we encounter in the course of our living our life. The goal would be with this to intentionally pull back on the compulsive behaviors that we're doing. Now, How do we lean into some of these fears and embrace those uncomfortable thoughts about our partner or about our relationship or about our future? If you're just getting started into exposures, first, I I would encourage everybody, if you're listening to this and you're experiencing some of these obsessions and fears, to work with a therapist, even for a short period of time, to discuss what exposures are, how they work, and how they could work for you in your life. There are also going to be a great number of books out there. I've mentioned some of those on previous episodes uh, that will help you to that will help guide you through some of these uh, uh, exposure exercises. One of the main ones that I think can be really helpful for relationship OCD is going to be scripting. Now we've talked about scripting before on previous episodes. The scripting also goes at goes by the name of uh, imaginal exposures. They're called cognitive exposures. Um, it's ultimately going to be just a story that you write about your biggest fear, your worst fear actually coming true. Now, this sounds crazy for some people, but the effort of scripting is to write out actually your fear coming true, and then you experiencing all that pain and discomfort and uncertainty while you're rereading and sitting within that anxiety. And you would write about exactly your biggest fear. So, for example, it can be writing a story about you ruining their life somehow by being in this relationship that you're not supposed to be in. You might write a story about you discovering that you, you truly never loved that person. And, you know, maybe you're 20 years into the relationship, and, and now what happens? Maybe you discover that they never loved you. And then what happens? You were right. You were right the whole time. You threw your life away with this person. Now what Another can be that you spend your life never knowing whether or not you fully love them. So in other words you, you you never get the certainty of even the opposite of even the biggest fear that you have. You never get concrete evidence that you don't love them. You never get concrete evidence that you fully do love them, but that you spend the rest of your life never knowing and the obsessing and the ruminating. You can also script about their biggest or rather, their, their biggest and worst trait getting worse. And continuing on, and just just exacerbating. Maybe it's their it's their chin or chins, or maybe it's their weight, or it's going to be I don't know. Pick pick a, pick a thing, or it's going to be they're kind of rude, or they're snarky, or they cuss a lot or they're not super passionate, or they're not super passionate in bed. Whatever it is that you're obsessing about, ruminating about, and worried about, it would be writing just about that and about that getting worse and worse, because that's what the obsession is. The point is to have the obsession, acknowledge the obsession, acknowledge the potential for that fear to come true, and to sit and to tolerate and habituate to the anxiety that naturally will come up from that. Now, as I mentioned before, if you were going to do anything between exposures or response prevention, I want you to do response prevention. And part of that is also going to be pulling back on compulsions that include your partner. Sometimes, folks with RCD will include their partner by confessing that they're doubting about the relationship or constantly telling them, oh my gosh, I, I, I just don't know if I fully love you. Sometimes, they're going to break up with their partner over and over and over again. They just feel their doubts, they break up, and then they wise up, and the anxiety goes away, and then they get back together again. And then the doubt shows up again, and they go, oh my gosh, I shouldn't be in this relationship, and then they break up. The cycle goes on and on and on. Sometimes, they include their partner by confessing to them Sometimes they include their partner by trying to get them to say, oh, no, honey, I know that you love me. I feel connected to you. Um, and they might do this through very covert ways, or they might do this just very bluntly, just saying, do you love me? Do I love you? Should Are, are we in the right relationship? And just wanting the other person to say yes and just answer anything. But they're, they're ultimately, as we talked about before, the, the other person ultimately doesn't know either. All they're doing is trying to answer the anxiety, is they're answering and talking to this anxious monster that's living between the person with OCD's ears. Now, if you don't have ROCD, you can imagine being in a relationship where your partner is constantly doubting. Imagine your partner Constantly questioning you about the health of the relationship, about whether or not you two are going to make it, or pointing out or questioning, you know, this physical trait about yourself. It could be your hair, it could be your posture, it could be the amount of makeup you do or don't wear. It could be, you know, your your physique. It could be almost anything, and bringing it up and looking at you and evaluating and notice and you noticing them, noticing other people, and bringing this up and questioning your friends. It can be maddening to be in that type of relationship. Now, while ROCD at its core is OCD, it is obsessing and compulsing about these fears and about uncertainty but it can also be founded in genuine relationship concerns. So, I actually think that ROCD is actually just a fun little combo of genuine relationship issues responded to with ROCD issues. Now, of course, someone can experience relationship OCD independent of actual relationship issues. It could be a fantastic relationship. And by the way, likely speaking, ROCD relationships, OCD aside, are pretty stinking good relationships. They're just usually full of this doubt. So how can you start to discern which of these things that you're dealing with are are ROCD or are genuine relationship issues? Well, sometimes we don't. Now, to get into and discern truly whether or not it's ROCD or genuine relationship issues, that's something that should be done with a trained therapist. But I I want to go over just one example that, that can happen within relationship stuff that is relationship stuff and OCD. So, one of the rules of thumb with this is to think about having a genuine relationship issue or genuine relationship concern. Well, First things first, have a conversation or discussion directly with your partner about it. Share that you have a concern, share it in an empathetic and loving fashion, and see see if you can work out this issue together. So for example, and I'm just going to go for a hot topic one, is maybe your partner's weight. This is a a terrifying conversation to have, both for men and for women, about their partners. But inevitably, within a relationship, your partners and your own weight will fluctuate up and down. And as we get older, by the way, we typically get a little bit heavier. It's what happens. Um, So, it's one of those things that because we're vain and we're shallow and, and whatever, is that that's something that our That's something ROCD can lovingly, terrifyingly latch onto and say, oh my gosh, see, they are gaining weight, I'm less attracted to them, I'm less physically aroused by them, I'm not supposed to be in this relationship, the relationship is going to be terrible, I'm going to live forever with this incredibly out of shape, flabby, or super skinny person, and it's going to be awful, and that's where the obsessions can go. And some of the things that we do in this roundabout way is checking, do I fully love this person? evaluating fat people, skinny people, in shape people, out of shape people to see, well, am I attracted to them? Could I be attracted to them? Am I more attracted to them than my partner? Things like that. It could be asking friends again, hey, do you think my partner is you know, a little out of weight? Or do they still look okay? It can also be avoiding having sex with this person because they are uh, too big, too small, whatever it is. But in these situations, if you're concerned about and obsessing about it, bring it up with your partner. Find a way to share this with them in a kind way, expressing maybe concern for their weight, maybe concern for their health. Now, this conversation certainly is not going to be very fun for anyone involved, but hopefully within that conversation, you'll be able to address some of the issues and some of the obsessions and some of the concerns and maybe find a way out of this or find a way to work through it. Now, once you've had this conversation, that's the conversation you're going to have. And now outside of it, if you start to notice the obsessing and the comparison and the avoidance, now we address it like it's OCD. So, we've addressed the relationship concern, if it is genuinely a concern. And some stuff that you know people worry about within our OCD is just not genuinely a concern. But you can always bring it up. But then, if you notice that the, the obsessions continue, and the compulsions and the avoidances continue, then treat it and attack it like it is OCD. It, we will also ultimately have to get to a point with some of these things that we have to accept the reality of the relationship that we're in, this annoying trait about this other person, this annoying thing, might just be there. And this is part of that that difference between you know point eight two and and one that we have to accept. We have to acknowledge this. Now, um, want to offer an example from Gary Chapman. He's a he's a writer and speaker and researcher into relationships. He wrote the Five Love Languages book. If anybody has read that. Now, I don't remember this was an example from his own relationship or, or whatever, but kind of the example goes like this. It's he would walk into the kitchen and notice that his wife would leave the cabinets open. And a bugged, the snot out of him. And he would go, Why on earth does she keep leaving the cabinets open? Doesn't she know to close them or there's going to get bugs in them or dust in them? Or, you know, it, it's so easy. Just close them. Why wouldn't she do this? Does she do this to annoy me? And he was just freaking out about it. And then he would bring it up, Hey, honey, could you close the cabinet? She'd go, Oh, yeah. And she would maybe close the cabinet a little bit sooner or close the cabinets a little bit during that week, but then inevitably get back into this um, unwanted behavior out of herself. And so he would just continue to get annoyed after having this conversation and then getting a little bit of relief and then it would eventually get back to it. Now he then finally because he then finally had a choice to make. did he continue did he want to continue to be pissed off and kind of ruminating, we can call obsessing about the cabinets or did he just want to close the damned cabinets himself? Well, He made a choice. He's going to close the cabinets. It took him two seconds to close them. And are there some things within our relationship that we ultimately can just accept? And can we work ourselves to accepting, obviously, this is easier said than done. But can we accept that our partner looks the way that they look, or have this trait, or have this characteristic? Can we accept some of the realities within our relationship. And that is going to be a personal question for you. Now, Henry, I finally wanted to get to your specific question. It was, how do I stay confident despite the obsessions? Now, first off, my problem with answering your question directly is that you didn't give me a whole lot of information. So, more specifically, is that I don't know if you're in a relationship or not, nor did you give me any of the details about how you are not confident, nor how the lack of confidence is impacting you. You just kind of said, well, I'm not very confident. So, another caveat I have to say is, well, what what does confidence mean? My fear is that confidence is code for having obsessions about being confident in your feelings or being confident about wanting to stay in the relationship despite obsessions. Is lack of confidence insecurity about having OCD and not wanting to get into relationships if you're not in one? Or even is lack of confidence just general insecurity about yourself and whether or not you're lovable? I, I don't know. So, because I don't quite know where to go with this, I'm just going to have to speak really broadly about confidence. One of the things I hope you can do is to reframe confidence as being confident in your ability to weather the storm of anxiety rather than trying to stay confident in the relationship by grasping onto the health and stability of the relationship. Meaning, staying confident within the feeling of the relationship, but staying confident in your own ability to manage anxiety and discomfort and insecurities. So, I wanted to offer some ways that you can start to do this reframed version of confidence. So, number one, I want you to remember to accept the presence of the thought, not the content. Remember, you have OCD, you said it yourself. Your brain is an expert at giving you irrational and distorted and inaccurate information. In other words, bonkers thoughts. That's what your brain is super, super good at giving you. Remind yourself of that. Remember, oh yeah, some of the stuff that my brain gives me is inaccurate, and I need to remember that. I need to remind myself of that. Now, that's obviously not the the end of it, but you can remember But you can work towards accepting the presence of the thought, how it sounds in your head, the images in your head, the story that your brain gives you, and not spend a lot of time or spend an increasingly small amount of time with the content and the, quote, truthfulness of the thought. Number two, remember that you're more than just OCD. If you're feeling a lack of confidence, I want you to spend some some time thinking about what you're really good at. Think about some of your positive traits, think about some of your your values, think about some of the stuff that makes you great because that's the stuff that you are also, not just OCD, not just intrusive thoughts and doubts and insecurities and fear. So I want you to do a, a really good inventory of who you are and acknowledging some of the wonderful things that you love about yourself. If you're having trouble with this, ask some of your friends. Say, hey, what are some of my best traits? I know this sounds kind of narcissistic, but ask them anyways. If you have some really good friends or family, they'll, they'll tell you. They say, man, I really like this about you. That can be a really good way to get that started. All right, so number three, remain confident that your anxiety will pass because, again, it, it always will. So, my worry with you saying how do I stay confident in the midst of obsessions is that you're saying how do I stay confident in my relationship, stay confident that I truly love my partner, or stay confident that it's actually OCD and not real doubt that my relationship will ruin me. Remember, as we've talked about before on this podcast before, OCD isn't really a thought problem, it's a feeling problem. If you didn't feel anything for this person ever and didn't even like them and they were just a detestable awful person you probably wouldn't even have have you probably wouldn't even been in a relationship with them or even considered being in a relationship with them so it's not a thought problem it's a feeling problem you're spending a lot of time trying to answer this insecurity or this feeling that you're having and you're getting into an endless conversation that about something you won't be able to ever answer so, logically speaking, you could probably point out some stuff that you love about your partner, stuff that you like about your partner, stuff that's redeemable about the your partner, about your relationship. And, and the things that bothered you at some point didn't bother you as much. Um, and if truly they were just an awful, terrible, god-awful person, you wouldn't have been in a relationship with them in the first place. Now, again, all of that logic and reason won't make any any real impact on the anxiety or the obsession itself. But we can remember that those things do exist, and they're still going to exist even after the anxiety passes. So, rather than trying to get into that same fight yet again, trying to fight with that doubt, uncertainty, and insecurity, remember that you can weather that storm and that you can do almost, almost anything else while that anxiety is present, and you can be engaged in the relationship while that anxiety is present, and know that it's eventually going to pass, because it always will, because it always has. And then it'll be back. But remember, we're building confidence in your ability to manage your anxiety and manage those, uh, that, that, uh, that uncertain thought. Lastly, so when you're not triggered with your anxiety, I want you to actually start doing exposures. This will definitely help you start building confidence in terms of being able to weather the storm and manage the thoughts. As I mentioned before, if you're not working with a therapist, I'd encourage you to look into it. But also, if not, get a book and start working on exposures. Now, the purpose of doing the exposures is not to ensure that you're actually going to have a good relationship, but building your confidence that, yeah, you can have this thought or any other thought about the success or destruction of the relationship while you non-compulsively, meaning values-orientedly, Pursue the health of the relationship in a personally consistent and manageable fashion. Within that, it's going to be pulling back on those compulsions, but it's going to be you can manage this anxiety. You can be within this relationship, deal with the anxiety, and continue to invest in it and try to grow the health of the relationship as best you possibly can. And accept that you're going to have those doubtful thoughts like everybody else. Oftentimes those doubtful thoughts that you're having are are the same realities that someone who's not worried about them still faces. Are you truly with the one? I don't know, but the other person who doesn't question it is still ultimately underneath it, fundamentally facing the same conundrum. They're just not worried about it. So, those were the four things that I would recommend that would be helpful in being able to manage and to, be, to build your confidence in the face of the obsessions. So, Henry, that was a very long-winded answer to your question. So, I appreciate you asking this question, uh, and it really does mean a lot. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for making it through this ROCD episode, episode twenty-six. Um, again, it's always my intention to try to be uh, like succinct and short with things, and I can just I, I can just never do it. So I apologize, but thank you for making it through this episode. If you like the FearCast, if you like this podcast, please go over to iTunes or go over to wherever it is that you get your podcast, wherever you're listening to it now, and and write a review. Give me a, a star, a like, a thumbs up, whatever it is on that platform. It, uh, it it would mean the world to me and also helps other people to find it. If you have questions about ROCD, if you want to share your experience with ROCD, or if you have some feedback for the listener, or even um, maybe I missed something and you want to add to it, uh, go over to FearCast. Podcast podcast.com and go to the submit a question link and uh, write down your thoughts there I will get them I will read them um, I, I am overjoyed when I do get questions because again the more questions the more feedback the more things that I can talk about the more podcasts there are so I also just love hearing from listeners and, uh, and just knowing that you're out there from all over the world by the way I just got a message from someone in South Africa so it's super exciting All right. Uh, Lastly, remember that the FearCast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you have questions about getting into therapy or need some assistance in your own recovery, you can go over to FearCastPodcast.com, and you can go to to the Find Help link, uh, and there's going to be some helpful resources there. All right, everybody. Until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.